Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the latest edition of 100, the Ed Gordon Podcast. Today is the first of a series of special edition podcasts we'll have from time to time where we feature and showcase Black-owned businesses. Today we spotlight a hat company out of Phoenix, Arizona. That's right, Arizona. Straw and Wool is starting to make noise in the fedora world in large part because of their takes on the traditional hat and their one-of-a-kind designs are turning hats into must-have pieces of art. Henry Dickerson and Ali Nervous have joined forces and made their hat company, Straw & Wool, one of the most cutting-edge, fashion-forward hat companies on the market today. Fellas, let me ask you this. Were were you guys always hat people? I know this kind of came to you uh, much quicker than I think most would imagine, but were both or either of you always hat people? Henry, let's start with you. Well, myself, I wore ball caps my whole life. And you couldn't catch me outside without a ball cap unless maybe I was going to, to work at church or something. Um, but being this type of hat person really didn't happen until we opened the store. And I realized that I was actually cool enough to wear one. <laughs> Ali, what about you? Yeah, my, For me, my dad always wore them. I didn't have a, a love and appreciation for them. But I got my first one when I was 18. And, uh, and I would always rock it. It was a straw, uh, straw boat. And, uh, and I would always rock it. I would always get compliments. So that's when my, when my love for it really started. But once we started this, then, you know, obviously started to get into more different styles and have an appreciation for the wool brills. Here's what's interesting to me. You guys, um, it says in the bio, unofficially started in 2019. But I've always been a hat lover. My, my father was a clothes horse. I've always loved clothes. Always thought the hat brought something extra, but for you know a good while, hats had gone out of style, and it was old cats that wore them. And that was really, if you know, if you caught a cat under sixty-five, seventy wearing one, you know, they were s- sort of out of place in a in a way. We have seen an explosion of the hat come back, and it has become uh, you know fashionable again for men. Did you just fall into that? Were you were you special and insightful enough to know this was going to happen? How that how that come about? Um, I think the maybe the easiest way to put it is we looked at what was around us and, and where we are. There's not really a hat scene at all. We we have maybe two hat stores that are in the vicinity of Phoenix, uh, but when you ask where do you get your hats from, <clears throat> there was really no answer. Uh, so we figured that if we were going to do this, we were going to do it in a way that the whole city would be able to have access to it, um, because we, we did see that resurgence everywhere else, just not here. 
So as long as we were centrally located and we made it in a way to where everybody could wear it, uh, I knew that would be a winner. We knew that would be a winning formula. I think going into it, at least I know for me, I didn't expect as many people to gravitate towards Grimm's as they have. We knew that we would get half people from Phoenix the transplant town, a lot of people <coughs> from Chicago, Detroit, Kansas City. So we knew we would get the hat folks. Um, but the first timers, the people who are just switching over their style to start wearing brims, that's been, you know, an experience that, you know, we really couldn't have predicted, uh, at least not to the level that we've seen, uh, you know, in this last year. Strong Wool is not the first venture for these two. Both have had their own businesses and joined forces to create a marketplace for black owned businesses in Phoenix to sell their merchandise. At that time, they also were in partnership with their wives and started a store, the Archwood Exchange. I wondered if the both always had an entrepreneurial spirit. For Ali, it started early. Yeah, I know for me, I always have. Um, uh, you know, since Yehi, my mom would always tell a story. My mom would give me watches to go sell at school. I used to sell sodas. Like, I, <laughs> I always wanted to be poor. I had got away from it for a little while, but, you know, when it's in you, it's in you. And so that bug started biting me about six, seven years ago. And uh, just, I think, out of just good fortune, that was around the time when uh, when Nira and I connected. And, uh, and we were looking at, you know, how do we start to build business? But at the same time, you know, the, the whole Buy Black movement, it wasn't what it is today, but it was, you know, the, the seedlings were there. So we were trying to figure out, okay, how do we push this movement of buying Black, Black empowerment, Black economics? And so we initially were going to start a store. Uh, it was called Archwood Exchange. And uh, so we had rented a little space and we were going to sell nothing but Black-owned products. It was going to be like the Black CVS or Black Walgreens. <laughs> You know, it didn't take too much research to find that, at least at that time, there wasn't a ton of products that we made that we could put into a store that made sense. Like It was like collard, canned collard greens and pancakes and laundry detergent, things like that. You know, and then, and then you know, again, people weren't as in tune with the importance of why, of why it's mm-hmm. necessary. Right? And so to market and try to build a brand around that, we found it was going to be extremely difficult. So we pivoted. Um, in a way that was that allowed us to bring more of the community together, but at the same time expose more businesses to the opportunity. And that's where the marketplace came from. And so uh, over the course of the last five years, we've been able to build this mission, this movement in Phoenix, where we bring businesses together, we bring the community together, and uh, um, and people get an opportunity to bring their product, bring their service to the marketplace. We're right based in downtown Phoenix, right just a couple of doors down from where our store is. And it's been just an amazing uh, opportunity to expose the community, expose the city, really, to the businesses that are that are in our community uh, to give people opportunities. And then it gave us a really keen eye on what was missing in the marketplace. Right. And that's where a number of businesses sprang out of Archer Exchange and Strong Wool is just one of them. And Henry, you you started selling hats. I would suspect they weren't as artistic as you all evolved to. But in that space, the buy black market space, and then what clicked to say, wait a minute, it's bigger than me just selling this stuff when I'm here on the weekends. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when we started it, you know, we would just let organically the businesses do what they do. Uh, But with that entrepreneurial spirit, you're you're looking at it in in areas of, okay, what's missing? And there's very little stuff for men there. And so... 
the mission came to find what men like and what was accessible. Hats was one of the things that first things that came to mind. So put the work in, got them in hand. And, um, you know, it was one of those things that just evolved. Uh, we would have them at the marketplace, sell them online here or there, like on OfferUp. Like whoever was looking for hats really didn't take it too seriously. But then uh, I, had, I had a clothing line. I was, that was my primary business. He had a bookstore down the street. And he hit me one day and was like, hey, why don't you put some of the hats in the bookstore? And then, you know, went through, went through. Like, you know what? Let's just build a store within the store and see where it goes from there. Um, and not only did we find that it was a, a, a place that was missing within the Buy Black Marketplace, but it's also a place that was missing within the city of Phoenix as well. So let's talk about Phoenix. Uh, when I first talked to you, cats, I said, look, man, what y'all doing out there in Phoenix? You know, it, it's, it is not the traditional stereotypically uh, stereotypical place one would think of a black business. You know, that's short sighted sometimes, but, you know, it's not Atlanta. It's not Detroit. It's not the obvious. So talk to me about your journey to Phoenix and how Phoenix and that surrounding has allowed you either to grow more quickly because sometimes the competition isn't the same or maybe struggle more. So what's it been? Um, I don't really see any struggle because, you know, you just got to accept the environment for what yeah. it is uh, and plan around it. Uh, I think, if anything, the, the climate of Phoenix and, and the lay of the land here in Phoenix has only helped us. Um, one, because it's the fifth largest city in the country, yet there's a lot of things that are missing here. Um, it still has a small town feel. And, and from that, people don't really have bigger ideas of what could be done here. Uh, but with us having the mindset that we have and looking around and seeing um, what's coming open, what's missing, and the gaps that are going to be filled, you know, real quickly here, the way a major city does, uh, we just figured it would be a great opportunity to put a stamp on as many areas that we could. But Phoenix has been great. Um, you know, you mentioned the Detroit, the Atlanta, whatever. <clears throat> because of that, we had to make sure that we weren't looked at as a Black-owned business. You know, if you found out, great. but uh, our goal was to be just a viable business that had a great product and great service that everyone felt comfortable and patronizing. And we always refer to Phoenix as a as a blank canvas, right? Which is a is a great thing for somebody with vision and you know with ambition. And so um, a lot of people that are moving from these other cities, moving from these bigger markets and things like that, are looking for stuff, right? But they might you know be working a nine to five, or you know they might not have the that uh, intention to go out and create something, but they're looking for those things. And so we found that, you know, it's been a very much, if you build it, they will come, you know, and we've, we've enjoyed, and that's why we don't, we don't, we don't tolerate any down talk about our community, about our people, because our people support, you know, everything that we've done, everything that we put out, we, we put out with the best of intentions of uplifting the community, providing a safe space, uh, for both the businesses and the people that come to patronize and come to shop and build relationships. And, and the people have come out in droves and supported us month after month uh, with this business, every business that we've, that we've been blessed to be a part of, the, the community shows up. And I think that's a testament to people, um, you know, looking for things to be a part of, looking for things to connect with in a place like Phoenix, where we don't have, you know, a, a huge um, surplus of Black-owned businesses and, and Black-owned institutions here. So here's what's interesting. Uh, you said 
Henry, that, you know, you, you look at the environment and it is what it is and you deal with it from that point. You all had to deal with something that the world dealt with, but many businesses shuttered. And that was the pandemic. I mean, just by happenstance, uh, I said you fell into it at 20, in 2019. 2020, you decide to roll. March 2020 comes around. Pandemic hits. Uh, you, you guys do have to kind of shut down for a little, little bit. You pick back up. And then really, you all have seen tremendous growth since then. Um, how did the pandemic help or hurt you? You know what? I think it was the, the biggest blessing and, and, and the uh, catalyst to be able to have us evolve. Uh, our initial idea was to be this small app store that, you know, you might see in any town. Uh, when we did shut down, um, as, as I mentioned, we were inside uh, Ali's bookstore. So our overhead was was pretty low. So it would be something to where if we closed our doors, it'd be OK to manage it. Uh, but at that time, we were forced to go back to the drawing board and evolve what, how we saw ourselves. So what we did was we built a website. We didn't have a website at that time. Uh, we started focusing on social media. And we realized that we had to be multifaceted in order to have longevity and, and be successful at this. That it's not just a local thing that but when you look around, people are selling hats everywhere. So it was to, to create our identity. And, and, and make sure that the voice of Strong Wool was, was something that resonated and that could continue with, because, because we're as genuine as can be. When we come back, Strong Wool is turning hatware into art and breaking stereotypes along the way. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. What helps set straw and wool apart from other hat companies is the uniqueness Henry and Ali are bringing to their product. They design hats with artists who use the hats like blank canvases and turn them into many cases pieces of artwork. Straw and Wool is clearly bringing some flavor to the hat game. 
co-owner Ali Nervous. Man, you know, I think that's part of the natural evolution of the business. You know, you asked about starting in COVID and and uh, having to obviously adapt from the very beginning, right? And so that was something that I think it forced us to always be thinking ahead, always be thinking of, okay, how do we continue to evolve? How do we continue to grow? So that was one of the first things, one of the first things that we were brainstorming even before we even knew or had the connections on, on how to do it was to create our own line of hats, to create our own style, something that was uniquely us. We weren't in a position to do it, right? At that point, we were still just, just a reseller, uh, just buying hats and, and reselling them. But even at that point, you know, we were we were very um, intentional about curating um, the style of hats that we felt like our community and our target demographic was going to gravitate toward. But once we were in a position and had the opportunity to start to start to customize and start to design and start to be really creative, that's when you know that's when that's a, that's our favorite part of the business. Um, you know, to be in a space where we can just create. Uh, and, and take something from scratch and design it and then have somebody appreciate it in the way that they do. And we're just getting started with that part, right? We, we still have a lot more to do as far as customizing and, and taking hats and, and uh, uh, making them uniquely for specific individuals. Um, but our, we call it one oaks uh, for one of a kind. And so uh, we uh, we actually and we also work with a few artists too, which has been really cool. We work with some local artists like Nick Ridley out here in Phoenix, Arizona, who uh, um, it's a collaboration where he designs it in partnership with us. We provide the hats, and um, and we know that it's something that our our artists gonna appreciate. Give me give me a sense of the growth of the business because you know it is not a local hat shop. You all are servicing people because of the internet um, and your website uh, all over the country. And I know that, you know, the popularity you guys have seen in the last year and a half, uh, you know, sometimes growth can be too quick, uh, you know, for you. Where, where do you guys sit on that? And, and I know you're appreciative of, you know, the people that are finding and supporting. Yeah, that, that growth has been amazing. So we've really, really been doing this for about a year and three months. Um, And in the first three months, uh, it was kind of just like a hangout spot. And if we sold a hat that day, that would be great. We did our advertising, we did our marketing, but people couldn't find us because, you know, it was after we transitioned out of the bookstore, we found a pretty inexpensive spot. It was inexpensive for a reason because people couldn't find you. Uh, but once we were able to get in the location that we're in right now here in downtown Phoenix, um, just organically from, from that location, our growth just went through the roof. Um, we've had a couple of um, opportunities to advertise in places like the airport. You know, once we realized that, that Phoenix has a lot of tourists here, mm-hmm. you know, right to, to get it there. Um, and then from that point, a lot of people like yourself have found us. And, and we've been humbled enough for, you know, somebody like yourself to give us a little bit of shine. And uh, all of these things incrementally over 2021 have, have given us a growth that we couldn't even believe uh, to the point where we're already having to think about uh, the next location, what city we're going to be in next. And which was something that when we started 21, we, didn't, we never even thought anything like that was possible. So we're, we're, we are trying to manage the balance of making sure we're solid 
and we have our formula down pat, but also at the same time, not being so short-sighted to figure out what the next major plans are, um, you know, but just trying to be careful with it. What about the idea of what you've been able to do with, with the hats art-wise? You know, they're very colorful, very stylish, um, avant-garde at times. You know, give, give me a sense of uh, which one of you came up with that idea and then where where you want to take it um, ultimately. Uh, well, well, I, I will say a, a lot of them, um, like I said, some of the ones that we sell more of where you see some of the finer detail, the, those are from artists that we work with. But it was also the idea here in Phoenix, we're in the arts district. So there's a lot of art artists locally that we try to collaborate with. Um, and beyond that, uh, we try our hand at something that we see other people doing. So one, we know it's possible. And, and I, we're in the business of what we do, but we doing what we see other people do because we know it's possible. We're not going to be limited. And so just from there, we've only been doing the customizing like that only a couple months now. So we're just now getting our feet wet and we figure um, we're going to get to a point where we have the equipment to make the hats from scratch. Because right now we'll, we'll take a, a hat, strip it down, make it a blank canvas and, and remix it. In a minute, we're about to evolve and pass that and start building the hats from scratch, just like all of these other uh, high-end hat makers do. So that, that's our goals coming up pretty short term, I would say. What have you learned uh, as a, a fledgling business um, that you just had no idea? That you had to, you know, you didn't, you you never even thought you'd have to think about it, but now you see it's a big part of what you're dealing with. Yeah, so I, I just one thing is we um, when people come to our site or come to our store, when they come to the site, they think it's a scam. But when they come to the store, they're kind of blown away because they're like, How are you able to sell these tests at these prices? And and we hear um, some of the prices that people pay at other locations. Right. For exact same product and you know i'm not going to knock anybody's business um because i know they have a reason for doing what they do but it's it's balancing what we know is fair and and makes us okay with what we do versus what everybody else is doing and how we may come across across to another business that's selling a half of 200 that we sell for 75 dollars mm -hmm. uh, so it's like, where do we stand? Because we have had a couple of businesses hit us up or the manufacturers hit us up and say that there are other buyers saying that we're selling it for too low when we know what our margin is and we couldn't in our right consciousness sell it for the prices that they sell it for. Ali, what about you? What an amazing opportunity and blessing is one, a business is in position to, um, you know, to chart its own destiny. You know, I don't know if, I know a lot of businesses, especially startup businesses, don't get in an opportunity or don't even get in a position to do that. Um, but to be able to, um, you know, just have a vision and be, be in a position to actualize it from thinking of different products that we want to have manufactured to now working with manufacturing and figuring out the, the manufacturing process and navigating, having shipping containers shipped overseas mm -hmm. and things like that. It's a it's a it's a great feeling, you know, but in, in it makes me wonder in my community minded uh, mindset of like, how do we get more business to that place? But also, um, and I don't know if this is exactly answering the question, but, you know, once navigating it in the industry, 
finding how uniquely positioned we are because we're we're a hat store, which really among hat stores is kind of a dying breed, right? Um, there's a couple hat towns that where a, a hat store is still you know a commonplace thing, but in he, here in Phoenix, the last people tell us all the time the last hat store closed eight years ago that was in the city of Phoenix. And you look around the country and hat stores really don't exist like they used to. Most most places are now hat brands. You know, it's a boutique or they're selling online or they might be sold out of a you know department store or something like that. So finding how uniquely positioned we are in the marketplace to be able to create this space, right, where people can come, the everyday person, not somebody necessarily that's trying to pay five, six hundred dollars for a hat. Um, but where the everyday person can come and find a hat, but also where we can build out our brand, build out our own unique line, is a uh, is is a is a space and a lane for us that's really really uh, wide open, and we plan to you know really just move fast with. Finally, let me get you guys to give some advice to uh, people who sit in the the seats that you all sat in some years ago, and that is moving from the idea of starting a business to actually starting a business, you know, this, this whole buy black um, mindset, I won't even call it a campaign, which it was some years ago, but now to your point earlier, it's a mindset. You know, I think we are as a community a bit more intentional. What would you tell um, someone who's saying to themselves, as we see people in record number numbers, quitting their jobs, Henry, you know, what do you tell people who want to get into the entrepreneurial space? Um, you know, I'm, this is me. I, I kind of hate the word entrepreneur because it's kind of like purgatory. <laughs> it's like have a business, then you're a business owner. Uh, if you're a part of a team, you're a team member. But I, I believe what happens a lot of times is people do go looking to be an entrepreneur. And what that tells me is that you're going to school with no major. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would tell people know what you want to do. Um, you should already have that in mind before you even think about quitting your job because if you quit your job and you start looking around at what you do, um, that's a never-ending process. Um, I know myself, when I quit my job, it was because my clothing business was doing so well that it only made sense. Uh, but the clothing business was something that I really wanted to do because I saw that there was a void that that clothing line uh, filled. So I, I would say just just know what you want to do and do your homework. And then from that point, don't be scared. That's, I think that's the biggest, biggest uh, issue with people when they when they venture into independence is the fear. Um, but whatever you're afraid of, it's either going to happen or it's not going to happen. All you can do is prepare yourself for the, the possibilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I echo that. And um and we just add, uh, it's, in Phoenix, we have a, a unique environment, so it forces us to adapt. Um, so we, we, we tell people all the time, don't rely on the black dollar, right? We're, we're 3% of, uh, of the population here. Let's say we're 10%, right? Even if we're 10% of, of the population here, right? One, because of the history of what's happened to it, Right, we're, we're the the 10 with least amount of wealth, right? And and at the same time, uh, you know, the mindset that we're talking about it, it's not shared amongst every single one of us, 
right? And so you're, you're relying on a percentage of the 10% of the population that has the least amount of wealth. And, uh, and, and that's, that, that may be enough to sustain a business, but it, it, it may not help you thrive, right? And get to the level of success that, you, that you're trying to get to or that you want to get to when it comes to creating wealth and providing jobs and create opportunity, economic power, and all the things that we're talking about here. And uh, why why black business is so necessary, and so um, depending on the industry that you're that you're getting in, right? We we uh, we stress the importance of being a good business first, right? And um, and being strategic, relying on um, the the network, building a network, building a relationship. What we talked about with Archwood Exchange when we first started that store, um, and this is a prime example. When we started, when we first were going to start that store. We didn't have relationships, right? We just, we had a little bit of money that we were putting in and, and we were going to go out and buy some products to rent a store and we were going to hope that it was going to turn out okay. And it most likely it, it probably wouldn't have. And um, and so we would have been went back to the drawing board. But thankfully having the foresight to say, okay, this might not make sense to do it in this time. We don't have a brand. We don't have relationships. Uh, we don't have the resources that we need to really do this. Um, and there's a better way. So we started the marketplace and we did that for three years. Three years later, we came back and we opened the store. And uh, and when we opened a store, we had a, a probably one of the biggest grand openings that this city's ever seen. The mayor came out, um, you know, and we had a who's who of people, people who have supported us over those past three years. The people who had never been to, never even heard of the marketplace, showed up to the grand opening of our store. Um, and so that just shows that sometimes it's timing. Uh, sometimes it's relationships and sometimes it's taking time to build up uh, that brand. And in, uh, you know, in the community where we don't have the resources, especially the resources that we should uh, have and the resources that we deserve, sometimes we have to be a little more strategic, right? And, uh, and make, do what's necessary. Uh, you know, we might have to start a little smaller, right? We, we started our first store. We were paying $600 a month. It was like a, a broom closet. It, it was the size of our bathroom now, um, literally. Um, but it was it was where we had to start because of what we had. Um, but, you know, because we started there and just grinded it out. Now we are where we are. Once again, thanks to Henry and Ali. Let's make sure we're intentional about supporting black businesses. Their website is strawnwool.com. And you can check them out on Facebook at Straw and Wool. And Instagram, you can find them at straw underscore and underscore wool. 100 is produced by Ed Gordon Media and distributed by iHeartMedia. Carol Johnson Green and Cherie Weldon are our bookers. Our editor is Lance Patton. Gerald Albright composed and performed our theme. Please join me on Twitter and Instagram at Ed L. Gordon and on Facebook at Ed Gordon Media. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.